Well, this morning, um, we are on the third part. Um, and it's, it's strange because, I mean, this isn't, it isn't really a series as much as it is a preparation and, and, and as much as an awareness of letting us know what's coming and letting us know how we're to be prepared for what's coming. Um, if, if, you, if you recall the last couple weeks, what we've been talking about is this revival that we read about in the Word of God. And, and, and if you recall, in, in Revelation chapter 3, we've gone over it a few times, but Revelation chapter 3, I believe it's, it's verse uh, 9, talks about how the, the, the synagogue of Satan, before the rapture, before the, the church is off this earth, you know, taken home to be, to be with Jesus when his bride's taken home, before that happens... It says in verse 9 that the synagogue of Satan, those who say that they love God and they don't, okay, those who say they believe in God, but in reality they don't, and they're, they're not telling the truth, those, it, you can think of that as the world, okay? It says, before I take my church home, in verse 10, verse 9 says that the world will bow down to my bride. And... If you don't believe me, go back and listen to last week and the week before, because this is an important thing to understand. It changed my whole paradigm as to what we're about to go through, what we're about to be a part of. You know, I couldn't understand before when, when you know, you, you get this thought of doom and gloom, and I, I think that's kind of the American way, right? It, it, it certainly is what gets the press. Anything negative... Anything bad, anything controversial, that's going to get the press. That's going to get the news, right? Well, doom and gloom, you know, that's going to get the press. Hey, watch out. This is what's coming, and, and I know what's coming, so, you know, listen to me. And I'm, I'm not downing any of those people that said that because I was one of those people. I was one of those who believed that doom and gloom was coming at the end, and that's why Jesus comes and takes his bride. Because he just can't put her through that anymore. He can't put his church through what's going on on the earth anymore. But I was never more wrong. And, and as the Lord took me through this process and took me through Revelation 3 and studying the church of Philadelphia and, and, and how he was going to take his bride out at the right time, he began to reveal what that timing was, or at least the circumstances of that timing. And it's not doom and gloom. Now, I'm not saying that there's not going to be persecution. There's going to be persecution. There will always be persecution, just as there always was. Okay, but we, can't, we cannot get past verse 9 in Revelation 3, where it says that the world will bow down to the feet of the church. Now, let, let me explain again what that means because it's important for you to have this foundation as we move on today. That doesn't mean that they will cower at the feet of the church and bow down and worship the church. That's not what it's saying. Because it says, if you look later in that verse, it says, they will see my glory, talking about Jesus Christ, and they will see how much I love you. The whole purpose 
in the world bowing down to the church is showing a shift of representation. It's a shift of what you see on the news. It's a shift of what you see around. See, right now, you see doom and gloom, right? Because that's what sells. That's, that's what they make money off of. You, you see everything going chaotic, everything going haywire, but none of that points to Jesus Christ. None of it. However, you can't get past verse 9 where it says, before I take my bride home, and I'm paraphrasing obviously all of this, but before I take my bride home, the world's going to see how much I love my bride. The world's going to see how much I love the church. And the way that they're going to do that, because it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that everyone in the world becomes saved, so then they, they see how much Jesus loves the church. It says those who proclaim to know God but don't know God, they will see how much he loves the church. See, that points to a position of prosperity. That points to a position of of God making them want something we have. And by the way, I'm not talking about prosperity like we're all about to get rich. Don't get confused, don't get sidetracked on some of these things, because it's not about that. See, God's perspective and our perspective are two different things oftentimes. That, that's, that's what he wants, is he wants our perspective to merge with his. And God doesn't look at this life. You have to understand that our end game is different than his end game. You know, our end game might be, well, you know what, I want this promotion at work. Or our end game might be, you know, one day I want to retire and I want to have all the money I need. I want to have the boat. I want to have, you know, whatever. I want to have all these things. So my end game is making my retirement as lucrative as possible so I can just kind of float. That, that might be our end game. You know, or it might be even, even good things. We hide this in good things. You know, my, my end game might be to have as, as big a family as I can and, 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 you know, have, have unity with our, in our family, which is a good thing. And, and then they could support me when I get older, and that's a great thing. Right? But remember, God's perspective is different. God looks beyond our time on this earth. And his end game is the day you take your last breath. Or the day he takes his church home. That's his end game. His end game is I need you to draw as close to me in this time where it requires faith as possible. Why? Because then you're going to understand me when you're with me. You're going to know when you're here. See, that's his end game. So everything that happens in our lives, in, in, in this life, as Christians, we have to look at the fact that he is taking into perspective our real end game, and that is when we're with him. Not, not, that, not that he doesn't bless us on this earth. But because of that, it's important to understand, not everybody is supposed to be rich, right? Not everybody is supposed to be what, what we might deem as, well, you know, we fit into this perfect world where every, everybody's healthy, everybody 
everybody's rich, you know, everybody's good looking, everybody is this, everybody's that. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Why? Because it will be that way in God's end game, not in ours. So we have to get right off the bat, you have to get the perspective that God is working toward another day. He is working toward an end game different than ours. So when you get that in your, in your perspective as a Christian, then the rest of this life starts to fall in place. Because, see, he has a calling on every one of your lives. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, there is not a single one of you that he does not have a plan for. And oftentimes we don't even understand that plan. Many times we don't ever get that plan because, see, we're too busy working on our own plan because our end game is different than his. So right off the bat, for the sake of this morning, for the sake of this series, for the sake of what we're doing, let's adopt the end game that his is when we're with him, that his is when he comes to take the church. And, and let, let's stay with that one. I like that, that one better than, than my last breath. So let, let's stay with that end game that, that when he takes us home as his bride, that's, that's the real end game. That's what we're looking at. Well, before that's going to happen, the church is going to be lifted up in this world. That's what verse 9 says. And why? Because Jesus Christ's name will be glorified. Do you see, it's an almost opposite perspective of what I used to have, of this, this doom and gloom, things are so bad, I'll just come and get you. It's just the opposite. It's, I need it to get so good that I can finally come and get you. And do you see, that? that's what it says in Song of Songs. That, that whole book that, that we read, and, and, and it's, it's usually the book taught about for marriage and that sort of thing, and it, it does, it applies to that, certainly. But there is, I, I think the overwhelming theme of that book actually is more applicable to the church. And you find all throughout that when the bride is getting ready, there are times where the bride doesn't know what's going on. There are times when the bride thinks, where is, where, where is he? Where is Jesus? Think about that in your own lives. When God puts you on a course and sets you on a course to do something, and, and you take that step, and all of a sudden, where would you go, God? God, you told me to take this step, and now, now where would you go? I, I was expecting this. I was expecting you to... You to, you know, be leading me the whole way, holding my hand the whole way, me feeling comfortable the whole way. And, and I could just imagine the Lord sitting back and saying, yes, but I need you to be a warrior. And, and see, a, a warrior has to be trained. A warrior has to be ready to step into something that they don't understand. And, and I, I do believe that, you know, looking at history, there have been different points in life, or at different points in the history of church, where, where God has done different things. But rest assured, we have been entering into a time, and I believe we've been in this for a while now, where it is a time that has never been seen in the church, ever. 
we're entering a point where we're about to see the buildup of the bride become ready for Jesus Christ. And, and see, it's not just about holding on. It's not just about, I'll just hold on until he comes and that'll make me ready. It's about stepping out. It's about realizing what he has for us. What he has for us as a church, what he has for us individually. And this comes back to things that I've said here. And, and I'm going to say this again, and I, I, you know, we'll see what the Lord has me say this morning in terms of some of this. But if you are part of Ignition Church, I want to, I want to remind you of something. You have been called to something very unique, whether you think so or not. You may think that you're just sitting here to absorb. Good luck with that. <laughs> because we are about to step into a time of dramatic change. Dramatic change. If you look at that verse 9 and you believe that verse 9, then you have to believe that there is dramatic change to bring that about. See, because right now the world hates us. And not that they won't hate us then, but they'll honor us. Right now they don't honor us. There is nothing that the world wants from us. So, so you look at that and look at the state of the world right now, you look at the state of the United States right now, and, and you think, for that verse 9 to be true... And we're getting near the end, which is very true. I don't want to sidetrack on that. Just trust me. We're, we're, very, we're very close to the end of that. I have full expectation of that in my lifetime. We're very, very close to the end. So for that to be the case, we're in that point of change right now. What God has been preparing us for for years, what God is preparing us for right now, will play itself out in a dramatic fashion in these coming days, weeks, months, years. And it's just amazing to me what that's going to be and what he's calling us to do here. I want us all to be prepared for that. I want to turn today to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, and we're going to go over just real quick something from last week so I get, so, so you understand the theme of what we were talking about last week and then we'll move forward to this week. Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to start with verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. In other words, we're getting the gift of the Holy Spirit in power. And he says why in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. Remember last week we talked about recognizing the real reality, recognizing what's going on beyond what we see, going on in his kingdom. Verse 19, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. So what he's saying here, and what we talked about last week, is he made it it simple, right? He said, I need you to be close to me. I need you to seek me. I need you to be ready for what's coming. And let me make that specific to Ignition Church. I want you to be ready for this plan that I have for you. And he's revealed much of this, but I need you to be ready. I'm raising you as warriors to be ready for what is about to happen, which means I need you to realize that you have to be grounded in love. Because, see, love is the greatest weapon against the enemy. It's something the enemy doesn't understand. You know, it's kind of like pulling out a nuclear bomb when somebody else has a bow and arrow. He he can't even comprehend how to war against love. He doesn't know how. He gets confused. (laughs) Have you ever had a person that that just gets so angry with you and hateful toward you? And and I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done this, and it's really interesting to watch. But, But a person that is just so angry and hateful toward you, spewing out whatever... And you just turn and you show them love. You ever watch their reaction? <laughs> it, it, first of all, it's, it's disarming because they don't know where to go with that. It's like, I, I really wanted you to fight back because I have all this anger inside of me and i got to get it out. i got to get rid of it. And, and, and you're not letting me. See, that's like 1 Corinthians 13, love covers everything. You're you're just taking all that junk that they're spewing out, and you're just taking a bucket of love and pouring it all over it. And it confuses them. Where do I go with that? Turns around, walks off in a huff. And chances are they don't do that again. Because they don't want to get that reaction from you, because why? It makes them look stupid. Makes them look like, like, like they're mad. Oh, wow. It brings truth. It brings reality. How much more so do you think it does to Satan when we do that? How much more so when we war in the spirit through worship and love and we're overwhelming the atmosphere with love? How much more do you think he gets confused? Gets even more angry? Can't do anything about it. Why? Because love shuts him down. That's why it's a weapon. That's why it's powerful. That's why he cannot stop it. That is how victory was won on the cross. It was by love. Jesus loved us. The Father loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. So it was through love that that happened. So that... That, that's what he's building us up in. Teaching us how to war in love. How to war in worship. Teaching us how to re- reach out into the communities and love them. How do you think the world is going to come to see the glory of Christ through his bride and see that Jesus loves his bride? It's through love. 
not through power, not through greatness, not through beating them down. Not through making, well, we're going to make the biggest cathedral in the land. That's been tried. <laughs> didn't work. That didn't bring glory to God. Pretty buildings. I, I've, I've gotten to see one of the prettiest in the world, I think, down in San Miguel. The, it's called the Parroquia. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing cathedral. And Alex and I have seen the, the, I don't even remember what it was in England, in London. What was it? West yeah, Westman Strabby. All, the, all these amazing buildings, you know, erected to give glory to God. And I'll tell you what, when I walk into the parroquia at San Miguel, it doesn't give glory to God. It's sad. It's really sad because it's dead. You walk in there and you feel an overwhelming sense that you just want to scream, Jesus. Just to wake them up. I mean, then they'll chase you out, but there's no glory for God there. There's no glory for God in that building. That's not what's going to bring the, the world to believe the glory of God in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 3. Why? Because it's not alive. How is God alive? God is alive in his church. He is alive in his people. That's how he's going to do it, by making the world see his love in us. But here's the problem. Here, here's the problem that he has. He's got to get our cooperation. That's the tough part. That's what he's been pr trying to do for 2,000 years. Now, the beautiful thing is he had a plan, and he's had a plan this whole time. And that plan is coming to a close. And you ever notice, you ever read in the Word of God, in, in uh, John, I think it's John chapter 20, where Jesus said in the end times, and, and Peter said it again in, in uh, uh, Acts chapter 2, he said in the end times, you're, you're going to see these things happen. You're going to see miracles. You're going to see amazing things as it gets toward the end. Joel prophesied it in the Old Testament. Peter repeated it in Acts chapter 2. He said, in the end times, you're going to see all these things. Why? Why is it different now than it was 100 years ago or 200 years ago? It's because God's getting ready. God's getting his bride ready, and he knows that his bride needs the extra portion of him. Because the more Jesus Christ pumps into his people, into his bride, the more the world will see that he loves us. And see, that's the point that he needs to get to before he can come and get us. The world has to see how much he loves us. Not how much we love him. Notice what it says. It's how much they see how much he loves us. So he prepares us. And right now he is preparing us to go out and war against the enemy so we can take back territories that have been in the enemy's hands, in some cases forever. In some cases since, since Adam gave it over. He's preparing us to take that over from the enemy through love so that the world will see how much he loves us. How much he's doing for us. 
Okay, so again, I want to, to establish the fact that all of this he gives us to do, we have to be grounded in love. And as we're being prepared for him, it is all about that love. And all throughout the, the second part of, uh, of chapter 3, it talks about what he's going to give us, right? And we, we just talked about that. So then he says this, and we're going to go to verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord, urge you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, he's saying, I have an expectation for you. You have been called to all of this that he just said in chapter 3. You've been called to be rooted in love. You've been called and, and given this strength and power of the Holy Spirit. You've been given all these things, whether you use them or not, it's up to you. He said, he said, you've been given these things. In fact, he said in verse 20, now to him of, of chapter 3, now who, him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So, so he's saying, even more than what I'm telling you here, I have given you. It's right here. It's on a platter laid out before you. So he's saying, walk in a manner worthy of it. Walk in a manner worthy of receiving this platter that I've given you. So there's an expectation that the Lord has for us. There's an expectation of engaging in this battle. See, we're at a point in time, and I, and I apologize because maybe in the past, maybe 50 years ago, maybe 100 years ago, maybe before that, whatever, we could, we could focus more on our lives and we could, you know, it, it would be enough just to be able to get through and get by. But it's not that way anymore. And it's certainly not that way if you're here. Because we have been called to something different. We have been called as warriors to literally bring on the love that Jesus Christ wants to show us to the world. You are part of that. He's laying out this platter before you and saying, look, here it is. I want you to be a part of it, but you've got to walk in a manner worthy of it. What does that mean? It means you love. It means you love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind and with all your strength. Pretty sure that means everything. You love him with everything you've got. You love him from the second you wake up to the second you go to sleep and you pray, Lord, help me to love you in my dreams. You love him. He becomes your world. It becomes to the point where, where you don't have a thought that doesn't wrap around him. And, and I've I got to say this because I've been where you are. All right, I, I haven't been a preacher my whole life. I haven't been a preacher hardly at all. I was only called a couple of years ago. I sat where you are for 50 years. Thinking, well, okay, yeah, I, I get that. It's, it's easy for you to think about God all day and every day and because that's kind of what you do. That's your thing. But on this side of it, i got to tell you that's not the case. 
Because see, before he called me to be a pastor, before he called me to be a preacher, he had to teach me that it had to be about him all the time. So I had to learn from sitting in that seat that it was about loving him in everything that he wanted me to do. And I I wasn't a preacher. I was a builder. I loved being a builder. But I had to include him in what I was doing. I had to include him in my building. I had to include him when I was working with my kids. I had to include him in everything that I did. I had to include him when I'd go skiing. Maybe I didn't do that because he hasn't let me go in like four years. Or test me on that one again. I'll think of you next time. <laughs> it's been a while. See, we got to think of him. Everything that we do has to be a part of what he's doing. Everything. And I can promise you this. Because from the, from the perspective of, of that not necessarily being the case, which is where I was, to where I am now, where everything I think of has something to do with him. That is a shorter process than you might think. That may seem overwhelming, but it's not. And, and I'm proof of that. I can tell you that it's not. But I can tell you the key. The key is being rooted and grounded in love. The key is falling in love first with him. With everything that you have. All your strength, it says. Everything that you have. But then taking all of that love and falling in love with other people. Not just the people that you like. (laughs) But everybody. And so that process doesn't have to be a long process. But I will say it's, it's not easy because you put others before yourself. That's a tough decision. But once the decision is made and once you pray, Lord, help me to fall in love with others. Wow, he changes everything about you. He, and, and I don't mean all your particulars. I still love to ski. I still love to do these things. I, I still love to, to hang out with the young people. We're going to creation in a few weeks. I still love to play practical jokes on them. Which, by the way, Peter, we've got to get together, work that one out. You know, See who our targets are this year. You, me, Doug, you know, we'll go out and get our stuff together. And some of your children will come home. Some won't. <laughs> Uh, See, he, 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 he doesn't change what we do unless what we do is sinful. What he does is he injects himself into it. Now it's so much more fun to play jokes on him. <laughs> it's so much more fun. Why? Because he helps me. <laughs> Jesus helps me. If you didn't think Jesus had a sense of humor, you really need to read the Gospels again. He does. All right, he maybe you know what? I bet he did. I bet he played jokes on the disciples. I bet he did. I, I, I wish they would have included some of that, although that probably would have been bad because then we would have taken it like that's what we're supposed to do all the time. But see, when we fall in love with him and we give him everything, that's what he does. He starts to permeate every part of our life. 
and, and when we're rooted and grounded in love, then he starts to make changes. You know, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. And my dad actually texts this to me to, this morning, which I think this is the second time that this has happened, where he's texted me something that, that was part of what, uh, what I was talking about. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9. We're going to start at verse 9 and read through verse 12. Colossians 1, verse 9 says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you all, apparently they're southern, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he says here, when, when we are walking in a manner worthy of him, that pleases him. But then there's more than that. It means that there's signs that you're walking in a manner worthy of him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, I can tell you from my own perspective, as I began to fall in love with people, I began to understand scripture that I never understood before. You ever wonder why, you know, I don't know about you, but it says in the Bible, you know, if, if anyone asks wisdom, he gives wisdom. You know, and one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to, is to breathe and speak Scripture to you, to help us to understand Scripture. And, and so I, I used to go through things and, and get frustrated sometimes. Why, why don't I understand this? God, you promised, you promised that if I ask you, you'll send your Holy Spirit to open up my mind and get me to understand this. Well, at the time, one thing I didn't understand was I was not foundationally ready to receive what he had for me. Why? Because I wasn't rooted and grounded in love. See, for you to absorb the scriptures the way they're meant to be absorbed, For you to understand scripture the way it's meant to be understood, you have to have this lens of love. It's kind of like if I'm trying to read something like this, good luck with that. Oh, okay. Now I see what it is. See, when I put my glasses on, my reading glasses, I can read what it's saying. When they're off, I can't. That's like understanding the Word of God with a lens of love. If you're trying to understand the Word of God without a lens of love, you will become a legalist. You you have no choice but to. If you've accepted Jesus Christ and you want to follow His precepts and you don't have or understand this lens of love, then what you read is going to be a list of do's and don'ts. This is how I operate my life because it says in verse 3 and blah, blah, blah. They start pulling all these verses out that really have nothing to do with even what they're talking about. But they say, well, this is how I have to operate my life because that's what it says. 
what they're forgetting to do is put on their glasses of love and then read it. Oh, I'm supposed to love. Oops. I I thought I was supposed to point out their sin. I thought I was supposed to tell them how much God is going to condemn them. Because then that would bring them to the Lord. Yeah, I missed that one. But you know what? And and I don't mean to make fun of that because, see, that was the world that I was part of. That's where I was. So, in essence, I'm making fun of myself. Please understand that. But, see, I didn't have a lens of love. I didn't have a lens of reading the Word of God through love. Because it said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love him. Well, if I, if I really love my neighbor, that means I'm not going to give up on them. If I really love them, I'm going to see them how Jesus sees them. And it's going to make that difference for me. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. And... So funny. It's it's like the never-ending series. Um, whoops. Because this verse, these these next two pieces, I, I was supposed to do like, or I thought I was going to do two weeks ago, and and if if I if I keep going, we're going to miss them today too. So, so I, I want to get here because I think these are important. Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 12. And just read verse 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now these are people, Paul's talking, well I believe it's Paul, it doesn't really say who it is, but the, the teacher or the writer of this book is saying, you know, you, you've been saved for a long time, right? Okay, by this time, verse 12, you ought to be teachers. Yet you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need not milk, or you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, I want to point something out here, and and I can say this because I lived through it. This isn't talking about knowledge. This isn't talking about being able to read the Bible and know it as a historical book. Because that's where I was. I understood the Word of God. I understood the, the historical aspect of the Word of God. I understood the prophetic aspect of the Word of God. I taught it. I spent two years teaching just Genesis chapter 1 through 6. Two years. And the class actually grew, so it's not like I was boring them to death and they left. Okay, I filled those two years with knowledge 
of what was going on. Historical fact. Then talking about Revelation, and I could teach about what was going to happen in the future. The knowledge was there, right? But I wasn't rooted and grounded in love. I didn't have the glasses of love on. And yet, it's exactly what he's saying here. By now, you should be teachers. Teachers of what he's saying, not teachers of knowledge. See, by now, let me back up. By now, Greg, you've been saved for 40 years. You should understand the fact that this is rooted and grounded in love. But yet you missed that one fact, and because of that, it is it has tainted everything that you do. Now I've got to go back and teach you the fundamentals again. You're not ready for solid food. Why? Because you've got to get this one thing first. Now praise God, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful that when he taught me love, I didn't just forget everything else and have to learn it again. It just gave me a whole different perspective on everything that I had learned. When you cover it in love, the knowledge takes on a different scale. I want you to turn to James. James chapter 1. Because sometimes, as we start to learn this process, as we begin to fall in love with Jesus Christ, and fall in love with people, our faith gets tested. It has to. That's the only way we grow. And sometimes that faith falters. I want to read verses 2 through 8. This is about the testing of our faith. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, when we're tested, we become steadfast. We become immovable. We start to get it in ground in our head that that is truth. Because God proves it to us over and over again. Verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it can't just be that we learn our lessons and we keep learning them over and over and over and over again. See, there comes to a point where you have to let those lessons stick. Where it says, let that steadfastness have its full effect. That brings us to a complete place with Jesus Christ. A complete understanding of our relationship with him. And he says, we'll begin in verse 5 here. He says, I'm here to help you. If any of you lacks wisdom or this understanding, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. See, if, 
If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you have an asset accessible to you. It doesn't matter if you just accepted Him or if you accepted Him 40 years ago. It doesn't matter. You have this wisdom accessible to you. It's kind of like Jesus is in the school building and He's saying, come and learn. See, all you have to be is a Christian. All you have to be is saved, accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, and you get your school card. You get your school ID. It allows you to go before His throne and say, here I am, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am your son. I need you to show me. I ask you to give me wisdom. He said, when you do that, I'll do it. I, you know, I, I give liberally. There's a catch. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith. Don't doubt. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because he's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. See, that's huge. Do you wonder why you keep asking God for wisdom? Why you keep asking God to move forward in your life? You keep asking God to do this for you or that for you? That, that would be according to his will, but it's not happening. Because, see, he needs an ingredient from you. It says you have to ask in faith. You have to believe and know that he will do that for you, that he wants to do that for you. Now, this is where a lot of people get confused. Well, you know what? I, I'd really like that new job. I really want that promotion to make 50% more than I'm making right now. So God, I, I am asking, and I am asking in faith because I know you can do that, and I know you're going to do that. And it doesn't happen. See, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about being rooted and grounded in Him, in love, relationship. Remember, His perspective is different than ours. He's looking at you and saying, just ask me whatever you need, and, and I'm going to pour it into you. But remember, He's thinking, because one day you'll be with me, and I, I, I need you to be at this place when you're with me. I need you to have a relationship with, with me at this level when you get here. And, and see, he only has our time on this earth to do it in. Because that's the only time we can operate in faith. Once we take our last breath, it's no longer faith, because we're with him. Paul says to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we take our last breath, we are present with Jesus Christ like that. So the only way we can operate in faith is right here when we can't see him. See, I have to have faith that he's working in me. I have to have faith that he's speaking his, through, his words through me. I have to ask that in faith. I can't ask that thinking, 
you know, well, I hope he does it. I'll tell you what, if, 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 it were that, if that were the case, and he wasn't showing me until the end, I, I'd be a nervous wreck. But praise God, because there have been times when I didn't know what he wanted to say until I stepped up here. And then he just began to speak. And, and more times than not, it's tending to be that way. If I didn't have, have the faith to ask him by faith that he would speak through me, I'd be a wreck. If I want to control my own life, control my own destiny, then how can I ask him in faith to take it over? See, there, there's a problem there. Lord, do what you want. I'm asking in faith for you to do what you want in my life. But then in reality, we try to make our own course. We, we don't trust what he's doing. Or perhaps we're not having the faith that he really would do it. Do you believe that he wants to work in your life? I, I can tell you that you have to take it back to the beginning, though, if you want to get to that place. The beginning of understanding that your relationship with him has to be wrapped in love. Because if, if your relationship with him is wrapped in love, he promises. He says, all you have to do is ask, and ask in faith. So, so here, here, here's a quick little three-point outline for you. All right? Love him, ask him, believe him. It's just that simple. But put yourself in the perspective of his timing. Thinking that he's looking at you to get you ready for when you're with him. Not to get you ready for next week. Not to get you ready for next month, next year, whatever. He's wanting to get you ready to be with Him. When we get that here, when we get that and we're still viable to, to, to you know, give our lives over to Him, we're still breathing and we still have possibility, when we get that here, life changes. I can't even begin to describe to you the changes that He has put me through in the last three years. And, and I'm talking about my relationship with him. I'm not even talking about the physicality of what he's doing. I'm talking about my relationship with him. Because if he does nothing else physically in my life, it doesn't matter. Because he is preparing me for that day when he comes and says, my bride's ready. But if, if you allow him, it, 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 you just have to know what's coming. I, I want to I do one more verse. Turn to Philippians. Because if I don't get this in, I won't get it in. Philippians, turn to Philippians chapter 1. And verse 6. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. 
when he's begun something in you and you've by faith trusted him to do it, hold on to that faith. Because there's going to be a time, I promise you, there's going to be a time where you think, what happened? Where'd he go? He's not speaking to me. He's not telling me anything. Maybe I made a mistake. You know, I, I thought this is what he wanted me to do. He made that clear. And, and I stepped out in faith, and, and it felt good, and I was moving, and boom, what happened? Where, where'd it go? Where'd you go? Just know, have faith that he will complete that work. But you have to understand him stepping away or making you feel like he did is part of the process. That's where he builds our faith. Because, see, to be that person that he needs us to be, to be those warriors that he needs us to be, he has got to increase our faith. Why? Because when we face the enemy, we've got to know God's reaction. We've got to be intimate with his reaction. And the only way he could do that is through trial. The only way he could do that is through faith, through, through him stepping, seemingly stepping, you know, kind of taking the training wheels off, letting you ride, even though he's right there to catch you if you fall. But we don't know that. Right? He's got to do that to teach us what he wants us to know by faith. Because there comes a point where all of that faith, all of that teaching, all of that knowledge, all of that history is put into practice for a specific purpose. That's what's coming. That's what's coming to our church. That's what's coming to this nation. That's what's coming to the world. We're about to undergo a change. You may or may not believe this. You may or may not understand this. It really, you know, it does. I get that. But we are within weeks, and I'm talking about ignition specifically. I'm talking about us, this group right here. We are within weeks of a beginning a move of the Holy Spirit that we've not seen before. This has been something he's been working for a while. He's been working in us, preparing us for a while. And this, I I, I can't even tell you how I know that. I can't even tell you why. I just beg you to be prepared. Be prepared with love. That's all. Don't worry about what he's going to do. Just be prepared for love. Just fall in love with each other. And and that's that's part of why I know we're close because we have. You know, revival, what we're talking about, brings the unity of the body. As we are revived in him, as we are drawn closer together in him, we're unified. And that's happened with us. But you understand that's going to happen with the whole body, with everybody. And what he's about to do, get excited about it. Get excited about it. Many of you know that, uh, that I've been 
you know, I've been talking about this young man named Carson, and a lot of you know him. And I, I go up to uh, I go up to the children's hospital since he's been up there. Go up there about three days a week. And I was up there um, Friday, and uh, all we talk about is what God's about to do and what God's going to do when Carson is healed. See, I, I, I myself believe that, and, and this may sound crazy, but I, I myself believe that Carson is a catalyst for something. Okay? And any of you that have followed me on Facebook and, and saw what I've said on some of the updates, you know I've already stepped way out on a limb, so... That's not a big deal. And I, and I even prayed about it before that, and, and I don't know if you know this, um, I have a phobia of heights, but it's a weird phobia. My, my phobia is not being afraid of heights. My phobia is that I want to jump. Okay, it, it, I, it's just the weirdest thing in the world. I, I get up, I, I'll never forget, first time I really understood it was when I got on top of the uh, Empire State State Building, we went way up there, and, and, and I got to the edge, and I just had to grip and hold on. I, I'm just so glad that those bars were there, and you had to climb, climb over them. And, and, you know, they're looking at me, oh, are you afraid of heights? No, I want to jump. I, I don't even know where that comes from. I used to think that I was the whack person in the world. Just nobody had that problem, and then I found out it was actually a phobia and whatever. So I'm normal. Kind of. <laughs> but I just wanted to jump, right? Okay, and that, that's how I've always been. It, it's just been ridiculous. It's crazy. i, I got to really be careful sometimes. Uh, you know, I found myself up on a roof. And, um, you know, there you can actually really think about doing it, and you might survive. And it's just bad. Anyways. Although it was good when I was skiing, because then I could try dumb things. I know. I'm kind of going off. <laughs> We're almost done. I know I'm going off. Sorry, sorry about that. That part was not the Holy Spirit. I apologize. Okay, I needed to tell you that story because I needed to tell you this. As I was praying the other day, because <laughs> I'm not sure, as, as the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he reveals things to me, and, and he's confirmed so many things this last week of what's about to happen. And, and I, I haven't figured out in my brain what he's just telling me and what I'm supposed to tell everybody else yet. You know, so, so I, I'm praying to him and, and, and I'm saying, Lord, are, are you wanting me to, to reveal some of this? You know, this was before I did some of those updates. Are you wanting me to reveal some of this stuff that, that you know, I believe you've told me? But I mean, you know, they're, they're going to think I'm whacked. You have to understand on Facebook, it goes out to people that I've known my whole life and all that. And, and immediately he put in my mind my fear, my fear of heights, that I want to jump. And immediately he said to me, he said, that's why I gave you that. He said, on this, I want you to jump. He wants me to jump off the cliff, not just hang off the cliff, not just, not just walk out to the edge wants me to jump. And so that's what I've done. And what's coming that I believe Carson is a catalyst for is, is the birth of revival across the world. 
You have to understand the weight of this. You have to understand what God is about to do is extraordinary. And, and, and it's not just about Carson being healed. And, and this is why I want to tell you this ahead of time for those of you who haven't already seen it on Facebook. He's in the South Tower, the fifth floor. He's in room 17. There are 24 rooms. That entire floor is about to be healed. Not only that, but that entire floor is being taken back because the authority that it's been under has been the enemy, but it's being taken back by God, and it will be a place of healing. And I get it if, if, you, if you don't understand that and don't believe it. Man, I am, I'm where you're at. I get it. And I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm just saying this because when it happens, you could say, he said that a few weeks ago. How, how did he know that? It's because of what God is about to do. And it's not just for the sake of those people being healed. It's for the sake of his glory. Do you understand that he is beginning what he's doing in Revelation 3 verse 9? To bring his glory to the earth. I don't know why we read the word of God and doubt what he's about to do. Why? Because it's never happened before? That shouldn't get in our way. Didn't get in Noah's way. Thank goodness. Because he even said what I am about, to, or he even said that, that one day in the end times, it will be more than what even Jesus was on the earth. There are going to be miracles. There are going to be the things that happen that have never happened before. Why? Not because we're great. Because he's getting his bride ready. And for his bride to be ready, his glory has to be shown all throughout the earth. Well, I'm telling you, that is starting on the fifth floor in the South Tower, room 17. And it's going to spread throughout all those rooms. By the way, it's not a mistake that it's the fifth floor. That's in the number of grace in the Bible. It's not a mistake that there are 24 rooms, which is a representation of the body of Christ. That's, God's kind of cool that way. Kind of would have blown it all out of the water for me if there were 25. That's what he does. And what's about to happen is the beginning of his glory. Not the beginning of our glory. Not the beginning of the church's glory. The beginning of Jesus' glory. He's readying his bride so that he could come and take his bride. And we are at the beginning of that process. Something I, I've been hearing my whole life. But it's here. We're entering into a time of revival that this world has never ever seen before. And it's about to begin I don't believe we're months from this. You know, and I'm not saying he gave me a time frame, not at all. I just know in my heart we're, we're, we're weeks. We're not, not months, we're weeks.
trust what he's doing, but engage. Trust what he's doing in your life, what your calling is, and engage in it, but wrap it in love. Wrap it in love because then when you do that, you're going to have the perspective that he has and that he wants you to have. And I want to close by reading something. I, I've told you guys before, um, there's this, this lady. I think I've told you. I can't remember. Um, there's this lady in Australia. Her name's Lana. And uh, she, she has the gift of prophecy, and she puts out things about every day. And, uh, and I get an email. Yeah, I'm, I'm on her email list. And, you know, a lot of people do this, but God brought her to me in a very unique way. And it's interesting because I, I could swear she is here with us or she bugs our prayer meeting somehow. Because what she says is exactly what we talk about. But I mean to the point of the same verbiage, the same words and everything else. So I want to read one to you, though. And this isn't even a whole one. It's just the end of one. It was one a couple days ago. And this is talking about the United States. Okay, talking about what God's about to do here. This is uh, Isaiah verse 60, she says. Um, and I'm, I'm coming, getting midstream where, where she was. But My people, can you believe that, he, that the greatest days are ahead? Can you believe that the greatest days for my church in the United States are before you to see you arise and shine? And, that out of, uh, and then you can look up and apply Isaiah 60 verse 1 to that. And my glory and fire of my love seen all across the nation, can you believe? Do you perceive it? And this is what she heard from the Lord. It's time. It's time. It's time. I then heard what sounded like a war song. And it was coming from the angelic hosts who were singing, It's time. It's time. It's time for the divine defy. It's time to see a greater demonstration of the power of Jesus defy the natural. Defy impossibilities in this nation. It is time for the divine defy. It's time to see the natural redefined by the supernatural. I then heard these words. I am going after the nevers in the nation. I am going after the nevers in the nation. I am going after the that will never happen in this nation. I am going after the nevers. I am turning the nevers to the next. Areas of the next powerful move of my spirit. Impossibilities in the nation are going to meet me. They are going to meet my power. My people, I have heard your cries. I have heard your prayers. It's time for the nation, for the United States of America, to return to me. I'm establishing invitation points, pathways and demonstrations of my goodness and power across the nation, lifting the banner high of my love to see the nation return to me. 
My kindness is going to lead many to repentance. It's time. It's time. It's time. Continue to stand in the gap, my people. Continue to stand in the gap. Continue to stand in repentance. Remember, I am the God of mercy. I am working. I am moving. Do not give up. I am moving powerfully behind the scenes in the nation, and it's about to be seen. I am redeeming time, acceleration in the nation. As I am pondering upon all that I heard and saw, this is Lana speaking, I then had a vision of clock hands on a clock speeding up and spinning round and round. The words then surround me, I am redeeming time, acceleration in the nation. I am then filled with the sense that the Lord is redeeming lost time and releasing acceleration into the nation. There is a stirring in my spirit of victory. There is a stirring in my spirit of triumph. That no matter how dark it looks, no matter what is going on around the nation, the Lord is making way for victory. He is making way for triumph. And his people continue to stand and cry out. He is releasing restoration, recompense, and vindication to his people that is overflowing in the nation and redeeming lost time caused by what the enemy has stolen or hindered. In these great winds of acceleration, he is releasing there will be a great breakthrough, great restructuring, and great demonstrations of his glory and the fire of his love that will see his kingdom established in suddenlies across the nation. The words then surround me. I am restoring honor to the nation of the United States of America. No longer will the nation be one that Others look at and say the nation is going under. I decree this to be a nation of victory and triumph. We need to just open our eyes to what God's doing. Don't be confused by what the enemy wants you to see. Remember that limb I was talking about? Okay, I'm going to go out on it again. Don't be confused by what you see with Donald Trump. Don't be confused that Satan's getting in there and he's going to ruin everything. He's been doing that. He's been doing that for a long time. Donald Trump is God's anointed person for this job. You may not agree with him. I don't agree with him. You may not like him. I don't like him. It's not about like. I'm just telling you what the Holy Spirit has told me. He's going to be our president for four years and then another four years. He'll be the president for eight years. 
And what he's going to do is not what he's going to do. That's what you have to understand. He has a very specific job that I don't think he even knows. He is going to root out in the government seats that have been taken and held by even those that are Christians, but don't give it to the Lord. You see, this nation has been called to something. You have to understand that never in the history, Old Testament or New, has there been a nation risen up that has done for Israel what the U.S. has done. And what the U.S. was founded on were those principles. That's how it was founded. That's how it was started. That's how it will be the day he comes to take his bride home. See, that's, that's why this revival that we're talking about, that's why it begins on the fifth floor South Tower of Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. Why? Because it had to start at the root. It had to start at the root of this country, which is Philadelphia. You ever wonder why Carson went up there when A.I. DuPont is right here? Why does his parents travel over an hour just to go be with him and see him when they could have gone to A.I. DuPont, right? because God needed him up there. God needs us where we are for what he's about to do. So don't be confused. Don't be afraid by what you see going on around you because God is in charge. And we know that he's going to bring his bride to a place where the world will see that he loves his bride, that he loves the church. And that's what he's doing, because it's time. It's time. It's time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you.